Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Very excited this morning. Um, as you heard, we have our guests here this morning. Uh, Brian and Jill Harden are up from Tennessee. And uh, I'm just going to give you a real quick, uh, Brian's going to get into uh, his message this morning, but I'll just give you a real quick um, intro and how this came about. Uh, for me, you know, it was about three years ago for me, um, I felt God was really prodding me to get into the word and to really, you know, get into his scriptures. And, and I was having these questions with myself, you know, why, why haven't I ever really read through the Bible and why haven't I done this? You know, and I call myself a Christian and all those kind of things. You may be doing the same thing. And I remember it was like yesterday, it was like a Saturday it was a rainy day. I'm flipping around. I was actually on, like, Apple TV, and I'm looking through apps or something. And I'm trying to find something related to the Bible that maybe will help me. And, and I stumbled into what's called the dailyaudiobible.com, and, and that's Brian and Jill's ministry, his wife. And when I tell you that his ministry has changed my life, it's not an exaggeration. Um, his ministry has incorporated the gospel into everything that I think about, everything I do. I read it every day, and, and the insights and the things that Brian shares on a regular basis um, speak and minister to me uh, more times than I can count. So um, that's why we're so excited to have Brian and his wife come here um, to speak with us. He, he's going to be talking um, about a book that he's written, which I strongly encourage you to read. Uh, it's called Reframe. I'll let him get into that more. But um, Brian's background is, um, is, is diverse. Um, Brian has been in the music recording industry as a producer. Um, he's been Grammy and Dove nominated um, numerous times. Uh, he's had photography uh, published in uh, Time Magazine and things like that for uh, recording artists. Um, and, and Jill, his wife, um, sings, and she's got a beautiful voice. I, I actually got, I got an advanced copy from you guys, so I got to listen to her uh, album. You guys are going to be completely blessed this morning. I know there's probably some people here from DAB uh, that listen. Anybody is a DAB listener? Look at the hands going up. Okay, cool. Awesome. So, uh, so really excited. So without further ado, I'm going to hand it over to Brian, and I know you're going to be blessed. So please give him a warm welcome and, and really just encourage him this morning. Amen. Good morning. I didn't get to look. Who's here from the Daily Audio Bible? Hi. It's good to uh, be in New York. Thank you for ordering up a perfect day. I guess this is how you see it at its best. And uh, it's just gorgeous. So Jill and I are pretty thrilled to be in New York. As, as our little son Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel would say. Okay. Um, every morning that I wake Ezekiel up, you know, he's three. So it's this kind of gentle, hey, hey, buddy. Hey, buddy, it's time to wake up. Time to get up. And he'll stretch and yawn and... That is what I'm hoping 
I can do for all of us today. Hey, buddy, it's time to wake up. It's time to get up. Now, you know, when you get up from a deep sleep, it's, it can be disruptive. I wake up in hotels all the time going like, where am I? Um, are you willing to take the journey? Can we be a little disruptive this morning? Yeah. Promise? <laughs> okay, we got pretty much 100% buy-in here. So here we go. Psalm 139. Verses 7 through 10. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up into the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths. Anybody made, made their bed in the depths? Besides me? I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. All right, killer verse. What the psalmist seems to be indicating is where is God not. Why do we spend our whole lives trying to figure out where he is? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Killer verse. Okay, if these things are true, there is nowhere we can go that God is not. We are his masterpiece. Then why isn't it working? You said we could do this. You all bought in. Right? We don't usually confess that. We try to sort it out. I needed to know the answer to that question after having read the Bible every day of my life for seven years. So, you know, I've been doing the Daily Audio Bible for, this is the 11th year, every day of my life seven days a week, no matter where I'm at. But after like seven years, I started getting this like angsty feeling inside. And part of me thought, it's just like, you know, it's just my age. I need a new car. I need some gold. (laughs) But it was deeper than that. It was like, okay, you know, as I was growing up as a pastor's kid and as I was trying to live out my faith, I could always identify the places that I'm failing, right? So we always know the places that we're failing. So there's the carrot out in front of us to do better. But what do you do like when you've kind of done all of the things you've been told the faith journey is supposed to look like? And that's where I was after seven years of reading the Bible. It was like everything everybody told me 
this journey was supposed to be like, I'm doing those things. Like, I'm reading my Bible every day. I can prove it. I pray every day I'm in this. There's no black curtain with a double life behind it. Like, my family and I are living into this. And we've had wonderful opportunities to speak to all kinds of people all over the world. And I'm living this life. Why isn't this enough? There has got to be more than this. For thousands of years, we've been actually trying to figure this out. Millennia. Where is God? And where am I in relation to him? Right? What levers do I pull? What hoops do I jump through that make him do something to relate to me? And I began to search what I meant when I said I am in a relationship with God. Probably everybody in here would say you're in a relationship with God. What do you mean when you say that? What does it mean to be in a relationship with God? Because that's not a small thing to say. It's a big thing to say. You would find it possibly more impressive if I said I was in a relationship with a celebrity. We were talking about Billy Joel yesterday. If I said I am in a relationship with Billy Joel, you might find that more impressive than if I told you I'm in a relationship with God. Why is that? It's not a small thing to say that we're in a relationship with God. But what does that mean? How does that work? What does it shape? How does it function? I need to know the answers, at least for myself, to those questions and just began searching. So for thousands of years, people have been trying to figure this out, just like I was. And and typically what, what we have here is, you know, thousands of years of experience, thousands of years of information based on the scriptures, and we kind of like all come together and build this huge pile of information about God. And then we move into this vortex, trying to disseminate this information that we have about God into things like five laws of this, eight precepts of that, the nine rules that will get God to work. It's like tabloid headlines on how to be in a relationship with the almighty creator of all things. And that doesn't work. And then we're frustrated and it must be our fault that it doesn't work. And so we try to redouble our efforts and then that doesn't work and so we live constantly feeling as if we're falling further and further behind. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? So how does this happen? Typically, you know, there's a threshold that we all reach in our lives. And that threshold is called faith. 
and we step across that threshold and we believe, right? And it's like at the other side of that threshold is an angel with a gift bag. And we're handed this gift bag and we're like, oh, I didn't realize. Thank you. Like, and we look in the gift bag and it's a relationship with God. And we're like, this is so cool. And we get around other people of faith and we're like, I've got, I just believed and they gave me this relationship with God. And the other people are like, that's so crazy. I have one of those too. <laughs> and then we'll come into faith communities and like every week it's like, how is your relationship with God doing? The thing about being in a relationship with God is like being in a relationship with anybody else. You can't just cross a threshold of belief and by default be in a relationship with them. We all believe in a lot of people we are not in a relationship with. So being in a relationship with God's got to be more than just believing in God. We believe in lots of people. And being in a relationship with God has to be more than accumulating all kinds of information about God. Like, I could put my mind to it and attempt to become the world's foremost authority on Abraham Lincoln. I could devote the rest of my life to reading everything he ever said that was recorded and every biography ever written about him and study every history and find every connection he ever had. I could become the world's foremost leader on this person. That does not mean I'm in a relationship with him. That means I have the most data about him over anyone else. Data about a person isn't the same as being in a relationship with the person. And this is where we start to go wrong because we enter into a faith journey and we get sucked into a vortex that essentially tells us the more Bible I can read, the more small groups that I can attend, the more faithful I can be to my church, the more faith-based media that I can ingest, the closer I am to God. That's not true. Accumulating data about a person isn't the same as being in a relationship with the person at all. And trying to be in a relationship with data is going to be futile because data isn't alive. So let's unpack this in our lives. It's Valentine's Day. How many of you are married here? How many of you are in love? How many of you are in love and married? Uh, just kidding. <laughs> it's Valentine's Day. You're one of the men in here for the first time in your relationship, in your marriage. 
first time you've done everything right. Flowers were delivered this morning. You made reservations at her favorite restaurant. You, for the first time in your life, arranged for the babysitter. <laughs> You've gotten all dressed up. It's perfect. The chances of you scoring tonight. <laughs> That's how we say it down in Tennessee. Super high odds in your favor. It's perfect. Candlelight. Smooth jazz. Food's exquisite. It's perfect. And you look across the table into your wife's eyes and you say, Darling, I just want you to know, for the last two weeks, I have been studying the data about you. I have memorized your fourth grade report card. <laughs> I have read every resume you ever submitted for every job you have ever had. And this took most of the two weeks. I have read every post you ever posted to social media. And I am You just blew it. <laughs> right? Your significant chances have diminished considerably. Without some kind of miracle, romance is not in the air anymore. Because she doesn't want to be disseminated down into the data about her. And she is completely creeped out <laughs> at what you've done. Right? Accumulating data about somebody isn't the same as being in a relationship with that person. And when you try to turn a person into the data about them, it doesn't work. So like, so like I'm married and my beautiful wife is here. And she is like every other person in the world. She cannot fit into the data about her at all. She can be known and completely unknowable at the same time. Like all of us can. But we have a hard time allowing this with God. We want the known. But we don't want the mystery of the unknowable even though this is hardwired into each of us as beings created in his image. What we want are the facts. Just tell me what to do. Just tell me what this is supposed to look like. But that doesn't work in a relationship. Relationships are shaped 
like life. So if before I met Jill, FedEx showed up at my door, I signed for a couple of boxes that had no indication of where they came from, I drug them into my living room, cut them open, and there's a cover letter on top that says, this is who your wife will one day be. I'd find that intriguing, right? So I start unpacking the boxes, and there's like photo albums, and there's like DVDs, and picture discs, and reams of paper larger than the Bible many times over. I unpack all this stuff, and I grab the first photo album, and I flip through, and here's an infant baby girl. And I keep flipping the pages, and I see her first steps, her first day of school, her senior prom, her college days, all the way until who she is now. And I set that aside, and I grab the paper, and I start reading, and it's like every personality profile ever invented. So I begin to know her likes and her dislikes. I begin to know her strengths and her weaknesses. I begin to know her gift mix, where she should serve in the church, like where she should have a proper vocation. And I set all that aside, throw in the DVDs, and it's like every home movie of her life. So I'm watching this girl from her infancy grow up before my eyes. I could start to feel like I know this girl. I know everything there is to know about her. When the truth would be, as much as I know about her, I have never met her. Knowing everything there is to know about somebody does not make you in a relationship with them. So, our attempt to know everything we can possibly know about God and then call that a relationship will not work. It's not a relationship. It's information. Important information. I'm a student of my wife. But she lives and breathes and has a being. She is constantly learning and growing herself. It's a moving target. I could never say to my wife, Jill... I laugh because I could never say this to my wife. (laughs) Sit down. I could say that, but sit down. We have to have a very serious talk. You have got to stop having new thoughts. Because I can't keep up. You have got to stop having new experiences. I need you to stay here, right here, because I am trying to formulate the theology of who you are. So that I can build doctrine around it that explains who we are. But you keep living and breathing and having a being... And that keeps changing. And I just need to get it right. Because I don't want to believe the wrong things about you. Here's the thing. I am and I am not believing the right things about my wife on any given day. And ironically, 
I am still in a relationship with her. It doesn't matter where I am in the world or where she is in the world. We are in a relationship. It doesn't matter if we are in a fight or if we are in love. I am in a relationship with her because we've decided we're going to be in this relationship. And the only way I will ever believe the right things about her is if we are together in the relationship. I cannot study her from afar and create a scientific formula that explains who we are together. That's not how relationships work. Why are we trying to do this to God? Because we're afraid to get it wrong. Because if we get it wrong, that may have implications. Maybe even eternal implications. And so we'll place God in a box. We'll ask him to sit in a chair and never move so we can try to figure him out. So we don't believe the wrong things about him. That very attempt actually does exactly what we're trying to avoid. It actually makes us believe the wrong things about him. Anybody in here ever made an assumption? Anybody here ever made an assumption that turned out to be wrong? We do this all of the time. All of the time. We are an assuming kind of people. It's just that we are very bad at it as a species. We are not good at making assumptions, although we do it all the time. So what is an assumption? An assumption is that we're kind of moving along with an understanding of the reality that we are in. And we're moving along and we reach a gap. We can see the other side, but we do not know how to get there. We don't know how this whole thing unfolds. We do not sit well with mystery. We will not usually allow it to unfold. And this can be about anybody, like your best friend, your spouse, your coworkers. We won't sit with mystery and allow it to unfold, allow the truth to unfold. We will build a bridge. We build a bridge to the other side, something that's plausible, something that makes sense to us, that could be incredibly incorrect. So let's say you uh, own a small business. You have a small team of employees and you have a very big client and a very big project that's coming up due in 30 days. You have a team meeting. You decide Mary will be the lead on this. So Mary's in charge of the team for this big client. You go back to your office. A few minutes later, there's a knock at your door. Mary comes in and sits down. She's like, I am so humbled that you would trust me with this project. And I want you to know, I will give you 100%. But I also need you to know that my marriage is falling apart. Wouldn't normally bring personal into the workplace. But you've just put a big task on my shoulders and I need you to know like it's 30 days and in 30 days I can't imagine that he's not moving out or I'm not moving out and then we're going to have to be figuring out what to do with the kids it's just a mess right now and I wanted you to have the opportunity to assign this to somebody else so you go with your gut 
you leave her in charge. Two weeks later, you're coming back from a meeting of your own and you walk by a restaurant that your employees like to frequent because it's really close to your office. So you look through the window and there's Mary. Mary's got a plate of food in front of her and she's got her head in her hands. So you go back into your office and immediately Tim knocks on the door and he comes in and he's like, what's going on with Mary? She's like biting everybody's head off today. It's crunch time. We have two weeks left on this. This is absolutely the critical time, and, and nobody knows what's wrong. So you go home that night. You're having dinner with your spouse, and what do you say? Mary's getting a divorce. And she warned me about this, and I don't know what I'm going to do. Because I don't know how to step in to lead the team now, because I don't even know what's going on. Do you know this? You do not know this. You built a bridge that's plausible over the top of Mary, and Mary was never allowed to speak. You invented a reality about Mary that you don't know is true. The truth could be anything. The truth could be that, ironically, this project actually catapulted Mary and her husband to get some counseling. And so they've actually been doing some serious heavy lifting in their relationship. And it's making a remarkable turnaround. They're fine. But Mary's toddler has the flu. And she has literally been up for more than 24 hours caring for a very sick baby. But she promised you 100%. So she didn't call out. She came in to give whatever she had to this project. We make up things about people all the time. The assumption isn't the wrong thing. The believing the assumption is the dangerous thing. Because we have invented a plausible reality that makes sense to us that could be a complete fabrication. And then we believe it's true. And we have invented a false reality. And we are living as if that false reality were true. We do this to God all of the time. So trying to not believe the wrong things about God, but trying to be in a relationship God through information about him, leads us to make unbelievable assumptions about him that could be completely false. And so we have invented a false spiritual reality. Of course it's not going to work. So like, have you ever got together with some friends? You've been going through a hard time. You've been praying. You get together and you're like, what do you think he's doing? What do you think God's up to? And then, of course, we begin to respond with all of the promise verses that we carry around. Well, you know he's got plans for you to prosper you, to keep you in health, so it's all going to be good. And we start passing around anecdotes about God with each other, building realities about him 
without ever allowing him to speak. And then being frustrated at him when he doesn't come through the way we thought he should. We're making spiritual realities that aren't real because they are omitting God. And then we want to blame him for the problems in the relationship. Of course that's not going to work. Assuming things about God isn't being in a relationship with God. And when we do this kind of stuff, and I'm not saying coming together in community isn't important. It's vital. It's all throughout the scriptures, and it's important in our lives. We are one body. It's absolutely important that we come together in community. But when we come together in community trying to figure God out while skipping God in the process, it's not going to work. What we have is a lot of gossip about God, and that's called hearsay. So, some of you may be lawyers in here, and you know that hearsay, without some fancy maneuvers, is not admissible in court even. Right? If you are subpoenaed to testify to the character or events of a person's life, you are not allowed to say what you have heard through the grapevine. You're not allowed to say, yeah, I heard that from so-and-so, and they heard it from so-and-so. That's hearsay. How much of what we are calling a relationship with God is based on hearsay? Because as I began to look for what it means to be in a relationship with God, I realized most of what I think that I know about God are things somebody else has told me. Not because I've been in a first-person, collaborative, life-giving relationship with God. So when you think about your own relationship with God, you have to begin to wonder, okay, how much of what I'm calling my relationship with God are things that I actually know firsthand? Because I am in an intimate relationship with him. And how much of what I'm calling my relationship with God is based on hearsay? It's like a pretty probing question if you spend a good five, ten minutes on it. Because you begin to realize that most of what you think you know, somebody told you. When the creator of all things is willing to be in a first-person relationship with you. He didn't come here and die for you so that he could cloak himself in mystery and hide from you for the rest of eternity. He actually wants to be in a first-person relationship with you enough to die for it. And what we do is settle for any plausible reality we can invent so that we won't get it wrong. And that's exactly what we're doing. And it estranges us from him because we don't know that his heart is good toward us because he's not behaving in a way that we think he should what we begin to realize is this thing that I'm calling a relationship with God would not work in any other relationship in my life. So it's no wonder that it's not going to work.
So is believing the right things about God the main thing about being in a relationship with God? Is that the objective? Do we have an eternal objective to believe the right things about him? And can we believe the right things about him from a distance through the accumulation of data? We can't. And if we believe the wrong things about God, are we eternally messed over? I'm a father. I have five children. If my children all got together and decided that they wanted to know me better as their father, and the way that they decided they would get to know me better as their father is that they would meet once a week and talk about me. They will know far less about me as a father than if they crawled onto the couch next to me or crawled into my lap and spent time with me. Either way, they are still my children. And there's nothing they can do about that. I'm their father. If they want to know me as their father, then they have to come to me as their father. Meeting at a distance and talking about me will just be comparing notes, but will not be furthering the relationship. So what is it that God wants from us? What is it that he's after here? The entire arc of the narrative of the Bible, I mean, from the book of Genesis all the way through to the last word of the book of Revelation, reveals that we have a God who is absolutely unwilling to abandon people, okay? Everyone in here would agree that if we were to take God out of the Bible, there would be no Bible, right? We have got to also understand that if we take people out of the Bible, there is no Bible. The Bible is the story of people and God, and in the middle of the Bible is a book of prophecy called Isaiah. And in the book of Isaiah is a prophecy that is very popular, and we use it at Christmas time. Emmanuel is coming. That one word pretty much says it all. Emmanuel. God with us. This is all he has ever wanted. God with us. Which means God with you. This is all he has ever wanted from you, is to be with you. And we keep holding him at an emotional arm's length, trying to figure him out without him present. Anybody here ever been in a relationship where you felt used? 
like where you have fallen in love with somebody and you really give everything you've got to this relationship, but they're not giving equally. They're kind of holding you out there. That's torture, right? Why are we doing this to God? And then blaming him for it. That's actually a mental condition called transference. Blaming somebody else for what you've done. Why are we doing this to God and then being mad at him for it? Why are we using God as a product that can be consumed? Why are we using God in this relationship? and then blaming him for it. What other hoop do you need God to jump through to prove his love to you? He died for you. Who else do you have like that in your life? What other things are you turning to life for that could possibly be more life-giving than resurrection? It's all available. God has moved heaven and earth to be with you. And he wants to be with you. But all of these things that we keep doing and trying to call it a relationship that will never work are actually holding us back. So what does this look like? Think about the day you met your spouse. I mean, relationships begin in all kinds of different ways. So maybe the moment that you met your spouse, it was like white-hot passion. It was just instant. Or maybe it happened over time. But no matter what happened at that moment of meeting, one thing led to another, right? One encounter led to another that led to another that led to another. So like over some time you begin to realize there's something going on between us, right? And there is. There's this thing. It's this small little orb that exists between you called a relationship. And it's small, but you know it's there. Something's going on between us. And then you get the courage to confess that. You feel like there's something going on between us? I really like you. And they say the same thing. I really like you too. And then you acknowledge that there's something going on between you and this thing begins to expand. And as you spend more and more time together investing into this thing, it grows. And you begin to build a bridge toward it from your heart called trust. You begin to put trust in this relationship. You begin to trust them, and they begin to trust you. And that bridge of trust becomes a pathway for your heart until finally one day you realize, I have fallen in love. And then you get the courage, and there's the big risk of confessing that for the first time. I love you. Because if they don't feel the same, you're going to be crushed. I love you. 
But they confess it back. I love you too. And this thing begins to expand even more. Until the day comes that you can't imagine another moment of your life without them in it. Right? You're in this place where you realize together you are a miracle. It's the time that you'll sit on the phone for six hours. Instead of like two lines of text. It's the time that you'll go out walking in the rain for the sake of it. You're sensing a miracle happening. That's who you are together, this beautiful thing. And this relationship is expanding until you realize, I can't, I can't go through life without you in it. And you confess this to each other. You make the arrangements. You stand before God and commit yourselves together for the rest of your lives. And then the thing expands even more. Fully given into that kind of relationship, you can be completely naked and unashamed and unafraid. Fully given to that kind of relationship, this thing that had begun to grow between you has expanded to surround you both. Then you can say you are in a relationship. This is all God has ever wanted. That you might understand that you can be naked and unashamed and unafraid with Him. So I'm going to say a prayer. It doesn't matter where I'm at in the country. You know, the speaker closes his notes and says, let's close in prayer. And you start thinking it's over. <laughs> so you kind of half here and half at where the least amount of line for lunch could be. <laughs> I'm asking you to stay here, present here. Jesus. I think I think the place to start is I'm sorry. That's not what I was going for. I'm sorry for all of the times I've been so upset with you for not coming through. I'm sorry for not owning my part of this relationship. I'm sorry for the blame. I'm sorry for the gossip. I'm sorry for the hearsay. I'm sorry for everything that I've been trading true intimacy with you for. Things that could never work. Things that wouldn't work with anybody. My heart is that I want to know you. But I realize that all of these attempts have been my attempts to control the relationship. To create you in my image rather than the other way around. So I'm sorry. And the thing is, I really want this. I've always known there has to be more. 
And I want that. I'm just realizing all of the entanglements. I'm realizing all of the substitutions that would never work. And so I'm inviting you, Jesus. I'm inviting you in. And the thing is, I have invited you in. But if I'm being honest, I've invited you into my heart where I have invited everybody that I care about into the living room. I keep it clean there. I'm inviting you into the basement where it's dark and moldy. I need you in those places. I don't even go down there. And I'm inviting you into the attic of my memories. The places that I store my offenses. The places that I store my wounds. That seep poison down the walls of my life. I'm inviting you there. I need you there. I need you with me. I just didn't realize that you wanted this as bad as I do. I didn't realize that you wanted to be in a relationship with me more than I could ever possibly want to be in a relationship with you. You created me. You are within me. There is nowhere that I can go that you are not. You have looked at me and called me a masterpiece. You've dreamed about things that we could do together. What I'm realizing is true love has been looking at me all along and chasing me every day of my life. And I have tried to make it into a formula, a recipe, when no relationship works that way. So come, Jesus. Come. I invite you fully. All right, guys, there's no amen to this prayer. We say amen, and it's like we put God back in the drawer and move on with our lives as if our spirituality can be compartmentalized that way. Do you ever say amen to your spouse? Would you like to have dinner tonight? Amen? I'm in the mood for seafood. Amen? Relationships are in the spoken and in the unspoken. They aren't on when you're just talking. They're always on and never off. They're life-giving. You know when you're in a life-giving relationship and you know when you're in a life-sucking relationship. We have been offered a personal relationship with the author of life. One that is always on and never off. Stop thinking of prayer as a compartmentalized part of your life and realize that everything is prayer. This is always on and never off. 
Invite Jesus into everything you do. And begin to ask yourself, can I do this in the name of Jesus? I do not want to come to the end of my life, lay my head down in death, come into the presence of the risen Christ, see him, run to him. This always happens in slow motion in my mind. (laughs) Run to him. Throw out my hand and say, Jesus, so nice to meet you. I've heard so much about you. I want to see Jesus. And he knows my name. Because our lives have been intertwined for decades. And we've just entered into the next season of being known. We just started a conversation here that never has to end. This conversation can be going on in one million years. You can make memories with God today that only you and he know about, that in one million years you can laugh about. This is the offer of the gospel, that you can be made new. And it's important that you wake up. You are the kingdom. You are the hands and feet of the risen Christ in this world. Every day that you wake up and live in relationship with God, you become a living, breathing embarrassment to the kingdom of darkness. It is important that we stop trying to compartmentalize something that will never work. And it is important to understand that our lives matter in this world. It's time to be who we were created to be, in relationship with God. We're going to close for real, seal the deal with a song that we can all sing. And I've invited uh, Jill to sing it. I usually sing before he speaks all of that, and I think I like that better because I don't know how I'm supposed to come up and and sing now, but um, I I hope you all have enjoyed your time with your pastors, Linda and Joey, because I've decided they're going back to Nashville with me because I need... I always need another spiritual mom and dad. And I love finding women that are passionate about Jesus. And then, but knowing underlying that she might cut you if she needs to at the same time. All with the love of Christ. I appreciate that in a woman so much. Um, You know, I just wanted to say this really quickly. Last summer, I came down with a, a, a facial paralysis called Bell's Palsy. And it wasn't 
in my itinerary. It wasn't on my agenda. It wasn't in the plan. I didn't have time for it. Um, and I was scared to death because I've been a singer my whole life. And then God has called me past singing and now speaking. And I thought, I can't do either of those things with a partially frozen face. My face hurt and it ached. And I couldn't close certain words together. And I had to go to the grocery store and I smiled at kids and I scared them and, and I just wept. And every day I got up and I just was like, God, what are you? My tendency was to go to, what are you doing? What did you do? And I wouldn't allow myself to say that because I had lived my whole life as a Christian blaming God for everything wrong that happened in my life. And I got to the point where I stopped and I said, I researched it and I thought, okay, wait a minute. Probably when my body was fighting a virus and I pushed through and said, no, I'm going to, I'm going to have a garage sale instead. That probably had more to do with it than God inflicting anything. And so every day I chose to get up and say, I don't know how or when, I don't know if I'll be healed or whole, but I'm going to choose to believe that you are good. I'm going to go on record to say a pretty bold statement. I've learned in my life, 42 years of living, that if you cannot say that God is good in every circumstance of your life, then you just truly don't know God in the fullness of who he is. If you're walking in the valley of the shadow of death, don't stay there. Keep walking. And lastly, I just want you to know that God loves and accepts all of us right now. And especially as women, we have a tendency to think 20 pounds from now, $20,000 in the bank account from now, a better car from now, a better house, two kids from now, married from now. Right now, no matter who you are, no matter what your past, no matter what baggage you brought in, no matter what damage goods you felt like coming in, that's not how God sees you. It's not called you, created you to be. And you are enough. We are enough. And God is good all the time. Amen. Would you stand and sing this with me?
Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.